Thank you for joining us on the Access Podcast. Today, on our Bible in Context series, we will be studying Colossians 2, verses 1 through 15. We hope you enjoy. Today, we're going to be in Colossians 2, continuing our series in the book of Colossians. I'm excited to uh, dive through. We're going to be in verses 1 through 15. I got my friends Alec and Bethany with me today again. How are you guys doing? Doing super good. How are Wonderful. you doing? Excited I'm good. To be here. Good. I'm also excited to be here. Well, hey, we're going to be diving right in uh, to Colossians 2. And if you remember uh, the context from the previous episodes, kind of the, the framework that we want to uh, really dive into when we're talking about Colossians and reading some of the epistles and the books of the Bible is we want to know the context of what we're reading. That's how we can really find out the true meaning of what God is teaching us through what he spoke to the author of any book of the Bible. So context is super important. We don't want to just pick and choose and cherry pick verses. We want to understand what God is telling the person so that we can in turn apply it to our own lives. And so that takes a little bit more time. That's why this series is, is taking a while and how we don't want to rush through the book of Colossians. We want to take our time and we want to really dive into what God is teaching us through uh, this specific book. And so I'm going to have... Bethany, read the entire uh, passage that we're going to be going through today. So Colossians 2, 1 through 15. She didn't know that I was going to ask her to do that. I did not. So she's making this really funny face <laughs> at me. She's like, what am I doing? version do you want me to read it in? What do you have? Uh, I usually read out of the Amplified version, so that may take us like yeah. 10 minutes. But do uh, NIV, What do you have? NASB? That's, that's good enough, yeah. I'll be reading out of the NIV, but oh, that'll, well, be, change that'll be okay. I changed it, and then you're like, no. I'll go for the <laughs> NIV. There you go. Final answer. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and those at Laodicea Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have full riches of complete understanding in order that that, may, that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you have received Jesus Christ our Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the workings of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and nailed it on the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
That is some good stuff. Wow, that's good. And this is why we want to unpack it because that was only 15 verses. and That's a lot. That's a lot to unpack. There's so much uh, just truth, helpful and encouraging uh, admonitions. And to skim over that would do a disservice to what uh, we have in Colossians 2. So as we kind of break it down and work uh, back in the beginning of Colossians 2, we're just hopefully going to have a conversation on some of the cultural implications, but also kind of emphasizing how does this impact our lives, you know, in 2020? How does this impact us today? And how can this challenge us to think differently about our role in society and, and, and whatnot? So let's just uh, break it down verse by verse, make some comments. Uh, Alec and Bethany will be kind of interjecting here as, as we kind of work through the passage. So let's go right into it. Uh, Colossians 2, verse 1. So I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those uh, for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. So this is a kind of reminder that Paul has not visited the church in, in, in Colossae, but he was in prison and he was sending a message to them. He had never met them personally. So my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So here we are. This amazing statement that is theological in nature and can be turned religious very fast, which is this last phrase, which are in whom Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so, we, yeah, Christ is full of wisdom and knowledge. And But as we read this and as we break it down piece by piece, so Paul's goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding complete understanding and that they may know Christ, know this mystery, Christ, and that they may know him who is in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So here we are in this passage where we find this this emphasis on wisdom and knowledge, really understanding. It talks about understanding. It talks about wisdom and it talks about knowledge. And if you go back to Proverbs, if you guys ever read Proverbs often, it's always talking about wisdom. It's always talking about understanding. It's there's a verse, uh, I can't think of it off the top of my head. It says, in all you're getting, get understanding. Like in all you're getting, if you can get anything, you don't need riches, you don't need gold, you don't need silver, get understanding. And it says that and get understanding of the Holy One. So it's really this idea that in God, and now we're seeing in the New Testament revelation that in Christ are hidden all the wisdom and knowledge of not just necessarily uh, you could say technological things or n- not wisdom and knowledge in right the economy or in, mm-hmm. in how to invest in the stock market or in how to uh, ace your chemistry uh, exam in at, at college, but namely wisdom and knowledge of how to interact with God and how to thrive on this earth. Yeah, so you're saying more of a, a spiritual understanding wisdom and knowledge compared to humanly wisdom and knowledge. Yeah, of how the world operates and how yeah. what our role is in the world and having that peace of knowing that 
we are living the life that God, our creator, had intended us to live. I think it's also interesting how he makes a point of saying, you know, how how all the the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ, and in a way, fulfilling the Torah once again of recognizing that, you know, in, in Proverbs, like you said, it's like whatever you do, get understanding. I think of it like when Paul says this, it's like in everything, like wisdom and understanding are in Jesus. I hear the Old Testament saying, like, get Jesus. Like, no matter what you do, just get Jesus. Hmm. And I think that's a very interesting tie in there. That's awesome. And that even makes the connection for me where um, Jesus says that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. He did not to come to abolish the Old Testament, mm-hmm. but he came to fulfill it. And even later in Matthew, I think five it is, he says that not one stroke of the pen will by any means pass away. Not one word from the Old Testament will pass away because he actually accomplished it. So he's the embodiment of wisdom. And so, so many people want to be wise. So many people want to advance in life and to have uh, healthy relationships and right and, and thrive in life. And the key is Christ is the source of any true life and having any true wisdom. Yeah. And even towards the end of verse two, where he's talking about in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, going back to that whole cultural belief that Christ was just an angel or one, mm, of, one yeah. of the, you know, the higher up angels, but he wasn't God. But he says, no, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So not just some of them, because we know that God has all the knowledge and Christ is God. So clearly disproving that thinking that Jesus was just an angel. Yeah, and you really see here him him really pushing a relational a relational message in the gospel to know Christ, right? To know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And it's this it's this understanding that Christ to, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, to be a person of the way, is to have a relationship, a commitment, a love in in passion for this person, Jesus, who changed everything for humanity and for the earth. Any other thoughts on that? We're going to continue. So it says on verse four, it says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine, fine sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So do not be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. Which makes me ask the question, you know, this fine-sounding arguments of this time period that, that was written was Gnosticism, right? That which was, which was really trying to bring Christ down to a human or spiritual level and bring him out of the divine position that he claimed to be, that he was God. And then you have the Jewish legalism, which, which really made watered down Christ's message in his work because it added all these other things on top of it, like feast feast, uh, laws and food laws and all the rituals. And, but it made me ask the question for us in, in America in 2020, what is it? What are the fine sounding arguments that we could easily get trapped into? And, you know, there's, there's multiple, you could say, false teachings and false ideologies and and philosophies that are present. And I kind of want to, I don't know if I was really planning on going here, but I really feel like we should. And it's a podcast and it's conversational and love to get your thoughts on it. And that 
really the, the one that I see most often kind of these fine sounding arguments that I sense because Paul here and God is really trying to tell us like, listen, these guys had false teachings and, and false ideologies. You're going to have them too. And so we need to focus on Christ, but also be aware that there are false ideologies that are, that are warring against the Christian faith and warring against really God himself. And so the one that I want to talk about is really postmodernism. And I don't know how much, how much interaction do you guys have with postmodern thought? Like little, a bit, a bit, yes. or a lot, a little bit, little. I would not call myself an expert in the subject. Neither am I, <laughs> but I know enough, and not enough, but I, I, I can, I, I understand the concept of postmodernism, and I understand a little bit where it came from, and, and it's this idea that there are multiple truths that can exist at the same time, even if they contradict each other. So it is a turning away from logic and it is an embracing the individual experience and the truth that the individual has experienced through the interactions in life. And so um, kind of the idea or the simple phrase that we can really frame it in is that there are multiple truths. And really the question is, is that true for you? And this is where we see right on college campuses, we see it in young people, we see it in culture that... Right, we have this idea when it comes to Christianity that it seems exclusive. Right, I don't know about you, but I've heard this question being in the church a lot, which is, what about people who grow up in India, who were never brought up in the gospel, never brought up in Christianity? How is it fair if they did not get brought up in the church in Christian philosophy like I did? How is that fair? And we run this, and so that's the kind of that postmodern thought. It says, well, it doesn't seem fair that God would, right, favor one people group over another people group. It doesn't seem fair that one people group, one religion gets to go to heaven and the other religion is false. Why can't all the religions just be true, right? And they all point, to- point towards the same thing. And we see this very, uh, I see this very often in culture, and I sense it in some young people, which is a, a refusal to acknowledge that Christianity is exclusive and that by accepting Christ, the kind of thought is I can also acknowledge the truth of Hinduism or Buddhism or agnosticism or you name the other religion. It's like, no, that's true for them. And so I'm going to let them do what they're going to do. Where if we read in the Bible and reading scriptures, it's like, no, like there is Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we could go way deeper, and we can go and do a whole podcast episode, maybe a tough conversation on postmodernism and whatnot, but I wanted to pause there and not just skip over it and say that that's one of the fine-sounding arguments that I hear in the culture today. Where have, you, have you had any experiences with postmodernism in your friend group, family group, well, yeah, I definitely think the the biggest one that I've come up against is the argument of homosexuality. It's like, well, well, you know, if, if they're doing it and they're not hurting anyone and they're really good people, so God wouldn't send them to hell like for that, you know, just just let them do their thing. Let me do my thing. Jesus is love. Yeah. And leaving it at that instead of taking it instead of 
being firm in scripture and saying, um, actually, no, like you're saying, taking that uncomfortable step and saying Christianity is exclusive. You need to make a conscious choice, which goes against the ideology of society, which is all about inclusion and making sure everyone is not offending anyone else. Yeah. And we, when it comes to homosexuality, you know, there's, that's such a misinterpreted and misframed, I would say, topic in the church because, you know, you have the cultural pressures that coming from the LGBTQ and this episode is not going to be talking about that. We'll have a tough conversation about that, but really it's this idea that to exclude one person is mean and God would never be mean. And the reality is God is a just God and it's not about God being nice or mean. It's about him being a righteous, just God. And really that's a downplay. When we start thinking on that level, that postmodern level, right? That personal anecdote level, it really shows us that we don't understand God's holiness. We don't understand how, how perfect and how, how good he is. And when it comes to that, that, that topic, I would say that's been, we'll, we'll do a tough conversation on it, but I understand what you're saying where it's like, you know, it's the feelings. It's a really postmodernism and running away from logic mm-hmm. and a running towards emotion and feeling. Yeah. And so would you say like, it kind of not going too far, but in relation to that, like when people only like to believe certain things about God or like God is just or like God is loving. He would never do that to me. Would you kind of relate that to postmodernism, like the, the personal experience, like one person believing only partially like what God is, like God is love, God is mercy. He would never send somebody to hell. Would you relate that to pers- um, to postmodernism like as well? picking attributes yeah, of God? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I don't know if I can. It may be too totally, big of a yeah, question. <laughs> I would say there probably can be multiple multiple reasons why someone might might view that, but I would say postmodernism postmodernism has a huge impact on that. It might be the, not be the only reason, but it has that effect on Christians that it almost uh, let me say it this way. It's almost like it's really popular to be moderate right now. Like it's really popular to like not have conviction. It's almost like idealistic or virtuous to not be passionate about something. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you have, you have people who are like, who, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be very indifferent and they'll almost be virtuous in their indifference about a topic, whether, you know, whatever it is. And where I'd say here is though that's the fine sounding argument. The fine sounding argument is that it's virtuous to not have conviction and to be welcoming and open-minded and, and being open-minded is, like, we need to be open-minded. We need to search the scriptures and be, and be gracious and we dive into truth. But when it comes down to the foundations and the basics of our faith, that's where we go, listen, I understand, but I know what I believe and I have a reason to believe that. So we've gotten a little bit off, but I've enjoyed that, <laughs> that part of the conversation. Like Postmodernism, like that, we'll do yeah. another tough conversation on that maybe, but let's keep working through this. How, how long have we been talking? 20 minutes. Dang, we got to keep going. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, can I say dang on this podcast? <laughs> we'll edit it out. <laughs> so the power of the we mouse. We need to get like a little like bleep button. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a Christian version. Whenever you say dang or shoot, <laughs> we got to bleep it out. Yeah, we got to bleep it out. Yeah. So verse uh, six. So then just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So just as you receive Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. In him, 
So you're not saying that when I was a little kid and I accepted Jesus Christ one time, I can't just continue on living like I've always lived and doing whatever I want? Sorry, Bethany, you can't do that. Oh, boy. I hope you can sense the sarcasm. Ooh, it's rough. <laughs> and so here you see this, continue to live your lives in him. And here we have Paul's encouragement, and here we have this teaching that is woven but often forgotten in Western church, which is that every part of our life is our Christian life. It's, it's, you know, it's not our Bible life and it's not our prayer life. It's all those things are crucial, but it's everything. It's a continue to live your life, your entire life in him. And it kind of brings me back to John 15 about abide in me and I and you and my word in you ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. It's this idea that we can actually have a relationship with Christ. We can actually be connected to the very life force of the universe. And he can give us peace and rest and wisdom and knowledge. And that there is access to Christ anywhere and in any situation. And he that just doesn't want to rescue us, but he wants to be our friend. And he wants to, he wants to be present in every situation and lead and guide our lives. So it says, uh, live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Basically giving this, this encouragement of this is how we ought to live as Christians is the supremacy of Christ, right? The, the, the new life that he's, he's referring to this new life and the supremacy of Christ. And I just think it's a great, great encouragement for us. And the imagery of being rooted and built up in Christ, it really just shows that when you get saved, it's not a, it's not a, once you're saved, it's done, it's over. It's like, no, that's just the beginning of your relationship with Christ. Knowing Christ is your savior is the, is the foundation, but that's the very beginning of your relationship with Christ. You know, like knowing him as, now you get to know him as friend. Now you get to know him as your leader and your Lord, and you get to know him as a personal friend in many different situations. Alec, did you want to say something about that? Nope. Sweet. Let's keep moving. We're almost there. Verse 8, sorry. See to it that no one takes you captive. I love that imagery. Takes you captive. It's like a prisoner. Literally, like a prisoner. That's what that's what these arguments are trying to do. Make you a prisoner through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Hollow and deceptive philosophy. Mine says pseudo-intellectual babble. Oof. So would you consider that the um, fine-sounding arguments? Yeah, I would say that, yeah, yeah, I'd say that's that's pretty connected to that, and I would say it's connected to the Gnosticism and the Jewish legalism, but it's not supposed to only refer to those. It's an encouragement to the to us two thousand years later to be aware of these same hollow arguments that present itself in different forms. And I, I just think it's one of the one of the key litmus tests of knowing something is false or even being skeptical of an ideology or an idea is where are its origins. Here, here we see two different types of origins that aren't Christ. So we see human 
tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. So the elemental spiritual forces and human tradition. So these are the main, almost all false ideologies and false worldviews are going to be broken down into human traditions or elemental spiritual forces. And so this is where you get new age movement. This is where you get um, mysticism and, you know, this new age spirituality. But this is where you also get politics. So a politics is a human tradition that is in a form a religion. Very and so people so. are going to be super, super, super religious and passionate about politics. And it is a human tradition because Christ did not come to set up a, a, a government. He came to set up a spiritual kingdom. And so they, that's where you get human tradition versus elemental spiritual forces. And every ideology, if it does not come from Christ, it comes from one of those two things, right? Then it is false and we should reject it completely and we should run to Christ. So the dangerous part, though, is sometimes people and humans like to use Christ in order to trick us, almost like a Trojan horse, to trick us to come into their ideology by using Christ to almost disarm our skepticism so that we'll be introduced to this ideology. So like in politics, people will use the Bible, they'll use <laughs> Christian, they'll use verses, they'll use you could say that uh, Jesus is and what he represents. They'll use holidays. They'll use all these things in order to deceive us to think that they are on our side, but they're really not. No, that's, a, that's a very good point. I had a friend that was watching, watching the news with his family one day, and there was this person that got up on stage and started prayer. Not someone you would think would start prayer. So the whole family was like, oh, my goodness, that person's praying. That's awesome. And as my friend's listening to it, He's feeling the movement of the prayer shift from prayer to agenda. Yeah. And he's sitting there and he's saying, do you guys realize like what he's saying right now? It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has nothing to do with God. This has everything to do with his priorities and what he wants to get across as a man. And I think how that's so important, how we need to use discernment of like between what's right and what's almost right. Well, it comes out of motive. Yeah. yeah. It's really where they come from. It says here through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on. So hollow and deceptive philosophy is going to depend on human tradition or mm -hmm. elemental spiritual forces. And if it's not on Christ, then we shouldn't follow it. Yeah. Right. We should follow Christ. Don't follow the Trojan horse. Follow Christ. So let's keep moving. For in Christ, all the fullness, this is why we should follow Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The fullness of God. That's why we need to read the Gospels all the time, guys. Like, that's why we need to be in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all the time. Because as we read about Christ, we see what God's like, right? It says the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. So what he's saying is you don't need these traditions, Human you don't need these elemental spiritual forces. You have the fullness of everything you'll ever need in Christ. So don't run to anything else. Don't be tricked by their deceit and by their lies and by their agendas. Don't be distracted from Christ by Jewish holidays or by, or by postmodern thought or by anything that would come against Christ. So he is the head over every power and authority, meaning that Christ has authority over everything, that nothing is over him. And in him, you were also circumcised, here we go, with a circumcision not performed by human 
hands, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay, then we just we just got a whole bunch of religious Jewish stuff that's going on right there that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to people. You know, talking about, you know, as it refers to circumcision, one of my favorite uh, stories about circumcision in the Bible is when Abraham is called by God and he has like literally like hundreds, if not thousands <laughs> of servants. And then God goes to Abraham and says, hey, you have to circumcise all of your male adult servants. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> It was a lot. Like, can you imagine that conversation? Uh, hey, guys. Um, so I got some bad news. <laughs> so God told me. I'd have been like, no. No, take me now. Take me now. Anyway, let's keep, let's get back into it. So we have circumcision, which is a, which is an act that was done to the Jewish people. It was a promise. It was a sign of the covenant that God made with the Jewish people, specifically with Abraham, but to the Jewish people. And so the, where, where we see this is, so is in him, you were also circumcised. You were made, it's really saying you're brought into a covenant relationship, right? Through the blood of Christ, you're brought into a covenant circumcision, um, circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, meaning that we no longer have to be circumcised in order to be a part of God's covenant family. And we also, the baptism is brought in here too. And But before we get into that, it says, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. So kind of, it was a, it was a it was a holiness thing. It was a separating themselves, the Israel people, circumcision was separating themselves from other people groups. It was an identifier that we are the people of God. And really, it, 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 it symbolized the flesh. So it symbolized like the, the, the self ruled by the flesh. So now we're no longer, we don't, we don't need to be circumcised um, in the flesh. Christ actually has a circumcision or in a sense has made a covenant with us so that we no longer are ruled by the flesh, but we are ruled by Christ and we are ruled and circumcised with and through our faith and with a spiritual circumcision. I know it's weird. It's it's super complicated and it's very <laughs> first century uh, Jewish language that 21st century Christ, or Americans are like, what the world? So then verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So this is where we see baptism. So we see no, we no longer be, need to be circumcised, but we do need to be baptized. And so when we get baptized, it is a recognition, is a symbol of what happens spiritually to us that our old man has dead. You know, we were once were slaves to sin, but now we are alive towards God. So we are buried in baptism, meaning when we go under the water, it symbolizes that our old man, the sinful nature that we are born into is dead. And now we are alive. We are born again. John 3, we are born again with Christ through faith by the working of God who raised Christ from the dead. So Christ rising from the dead allows our new person to be born again through the Holy Spirit and through faith in God and rejecting ourself, the world, and rejecting our own prideful, sinful nature and clinging to Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, as our King, and as our friend. So verse 13, 
when you were dead in your sins and in your, in, oh, I'm sorry, when you were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision of your, of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public display of them or spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Wow. So I want to bring about kind of just the outline of what we read here, because I think it really sets it up to really understand this last piece. So if you remember verse in earlier in chapter two, it talked about how uh, Christ, right? He is all the fullness and all the wisdom, right? And then he says, continue in him and don't be deceived. And then he says, be continue in Christ, be built up in Christ. And then he comes back, he says, okay, don't be deceived. And then he said, you have the fullness of Christ in you. Like Christ, like the fullness, you have everything you need in Christ. Don't be deceived by these these uh, false teachings and by these false ideologies and human traditions and elemental spiritual forces. And then he talks about circumcision, talking to those Jewish people saying, you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need the traditions. And then he comes back after all of that, after all of that, you could say cultural and, and situational, uh, situational, you could say addresses, right? He's addressing specific situations. He ends this little, this little part of his writing. He ends it with the gospel. He ends it with, hey, just to remind you, after you're being deceived, let's not forget how awesome Christ is. Let's not forget the work and what he actually did for you. And that's what his, 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 his plan or his strategy is to focus on Christ. And as you focus on Christ, all of the other human traditions and elemental spiritual forces actually start to get broken down. And actually by focusing on Christ, you actually don't even need to address those elemental spiritual forces because Christ disarms. It says he's the authority and the power. He actually has authority over those things. So we don't need to necessarily to kind of bring it back. We don't need to focus on postmodernism. We don't need to focus on new age teaching and get indoctrinated and really understand where they're coming from. We don't need to understand Hinduism or Buddhism. Now, it might be helpful to be at least somewhat aware of what those ideologies are. But what Paul is saying here is you don't need to do any of those things. What you need is to indoctrinate and obsess yourself with the teachings of Jesus. And as you do that, right, remember what he did. Remember what he did. Know him, know him, know him. And in doing so, being reminded of Christ disarms all of the other false ideologies. So as we go in there, what did, what did Christ do? He's reminding us of the gospel. He breaks it down. You were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Like you were dead, man. Like you were up the creek without a paddle. There's no way. Like you were hostile. You were an enemy. You, you couldn't say you couldn't save a mosquito like you're so you're so lost and, and it said God made you alive with Christ like he's the one who brought the message to you he forgave all us all our he forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness basically saying you're standing before a judge and there's this huge fine that you can't pay and Christ came on your behalf and he canceled it. Like that's what Christ did for you. Why would you give these false ideologies even a, a, a thought, a second in your mind? 
canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. And here's the point, nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross. He nailed all of the accusations and the sin and the, and the debt that we owe. He nailed it to the cross. And here's the most, here's a beautiful part. Having disarmed, doing so, he disarmed the powers and authorities. So all the negative demonic spiritual forces that were coming against us and that are coming against us even now, Christ disarmed them, that they have no authority over us, that they have no power over us, and that nothing, whether it's whether it's the voices that we get in our head, the negativity, whether it's whether it's the the the, the depression, whether it's any of these things that we worry and anxiety, or whether it's family problems that seem to be crippling us. Christ is saying, or Paul is saying here through, through this letter, but God is telling us is that none of that has any power over you, that Christ has disarmed it. Now, we still have to process what we're going through and allow Christ to mold us in the middle of it, but he's saying, don't let the devil deceive you, to, deceive you enough to, for you to think that that has power over you. It doesn't. Because Christ, who you have a union with, is above all of it. So even though you might be in the middle of it, Christ is above it. And you can cling to Christ and he can set you free and make you whole. It says he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And it's a beautiful, beautiful way to end this little section of Colossians 2, which is to say, look at all these you know, different thought processes and philosophies. Now here comes Christ. Let's remind ourselves of what Christ has done and what he did and what that means for our life moving ahead. You guys have any last thoughts? I love, just a quick note, I love that it says cancel the charge of our legal indebtedness. Like legit, like it was legally, like you were in debt. And you could not pay it. Well, it goes back to this idea, Alec. It's it's funny because most people don't realize that God is a judge. The Bible describes him as the righteous judge. You know, we, we love 1 John 4, 8, which says God is love. But we can't forget that the Bible also describes him as a righteous judge. Absolutely. And God, in his nature, is love, but he's also fully a judge. And... The Bible also describes that when we die, we will stand before him as if in a courtroom, the judgment seat of Christ, right? The great white throne judgment. It's a very courtroom-like image that is described in the Bible. And Christ came to cancel the debt, the legal debt that we owed from our sin. And we just can't forget that because it's a, it's a crucial part to Christian doctrine and Christian theology in our faith. And that's post one of the things that postmodernism just to rewind that's trying to do is take away God as judge and only have him be love. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that it tries to do is because once he becomes a judge, then it then it's exclusive. But if he's love, he can be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a it's a great imagery though. You're right. It's it's just such a beautiful reminder of the price that Christ paid and the grace and the mercy and the love that he had for us to do what he did. But I think that's all we have for today, right? That's all we got. That's all we so got. Colossians 2, 1 through 15, I hope this blessed you. And I pray that through these podcasts that you will dive and grow in your love and passion for the word of God. If you have questions about this episode, send us a, a message on Instagram and we'll get back with you. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on the Access Podcast.